Welcome to Security Heroes, a podcast by Athena Security. We share real life stories to help connect you to real heroes in the security world. I'm your host, Lisa Falzone. Warning, the following recording contains potentially disturbing content. Listener discretion advised. Joining me today is Bonnie Michaelman, the Executive Director of Police and Security Services at Massachusetts General Hospital and Mass General Brigham. Bonnie is a leader in security and enterprise risk management with over 25 years of experience. She has a proven track record of optimizing security operations for various industries and is committed to enhancing the professionalism, standards, and reputation of the private security sector. Bonnie is highly regarded as a leader, consultant, writer, trainer, and speaker, both nationally and internationally. Welcome, Bonnie. Thank you, Lisa. Great to be here. All right. So what sparked your interest in pursuing a career in the security field? I was on my way to law school, couldn't afford it. So I did a master's in criminology and got exposed to the field, did some undercover work. At the time, it was a, quite a while ago. It was an industry that was growing rapidly, but it was not particularly diverse. And there was a lot of need for different backgrounds and different avenues. And I found it to be fascinating. Yeah, awesome. I mean, it still doesn't seem to me to be particularly diverse. So I'm always so excited when I get to talk to women in particular in security. So I don't know, maybe I'm just biased, but they seem to be the ones that are crushing it too. So <laughs> I'm biased too, but it is actually a lot more diverse than it was, and particularly yeah. with women. I'm president of three international associations, which have had very few women in the associations. And now that's changing a lot. So that's really good. Yeah, it's awesome to see. So what are your main responsibilities as the executive director of security at Massachusetts General Hospital and Mass General Brigham? I'm responsible for the whole corporation, which is 12 hospitals and about a thousand ambulatory sites and a large corporate headquarters and all around New England, mostly in the Massachusetts area. But there's a hundred thousand employees. There are thousands and thousands of patients from all over the world, not just from New England. And healthcare is not simple. It's not for the weak these days. There's tremendous amounts of violence, conflict, competition around resources, cyber issues, fraud, extortion, hate crimes, domestic violence, a lot of issues around discrimination and hate. And it is certainly a very intricate and complex industry, particularly one where, unlike other industries, you can't just raise prices, but your expenses go up considerably all the time. And the emotionality of it makes it very unique. So there isn't another industry in the world where, you know, everybody who comes to a hospital is pretty stressed out. You know, there's nothing really good to come for. Even if you're having a baby, you're pretty stressed out. And the patients are emotional and pretty charged up and caregivers are too because they're overworked and often weigh in, in too much demand. And there's often long waits. There's often a lot of space constraints. There's often a lot of waiting time in emergency departments and other parts of hospitals and healthcare organizations. And that creates an environment that is fraught with the potential for a lot of conflict and violence. Totally. What keeps you up at night? I think the thing that keeps me up at night is the unforeseeable issues. We plan where we pride ourselves in being very proactive. We have 100,000 employees and a large landscape to cover. 
But there's always unforeseeable issues in healthcare, whether it be shooting or stabbing or a sexual assault or drug diversion or something that hopefully happens very rarely, if at all, but that you can't anticipate some sort of a protest or political event, some sort of sabotage. And usually that is emanating from an outside person, a patient or a visitor, or just a random outside person. On occasion in hospitals around the country, it emanates from a distraught employee or former employee. What keeps me up at night is those issues and trying to help people to feel safe. So right now with people watching, you know, probably way too much TV or seeing too many news feeds or social media feeds, people are worried. You know, they're seeing active shooter situations all over and shopping malls and churches and temples and theaters and everywhere else. And they're seeing levels of violence like they've never seen before. So they come back to work and hospitals and think that we should become an armed camp and we can't become and shouldn't become armed camps for most of us. And that's hard to help people to feel less fear and more secure, but to be able to do the right things the right way and to be a, have a thoughtful approach to security design. Totally. So one thing that I find interesting is people worry a lot about armed intruders in healthcare, but in fact, active shooting situations are the lowest in healthcare than any industry in the country. Violence is high, but actually active shooter situations are quite low. And when they do happen on those rare events, they're not in the emergency departments like most people think. They're often in clinics or they might be a targeted mercy kind of killing in an inpatient unit or something like that. So sometimes just getting the right information out so people aren't thinking or worried about the wrong things can be very important. And getting people's time for training and education and awareness around the types of things that occur. So what types of things are you seeing occur in emergency rooms? Um, In emergency rooms, we're seeing, you know, a lot of dysregulated behavior and a lot of violence. And it may be from people with unintentional violence that could be people coming out of anesthesia or people with dementia or people that have autism or people that have brain injuries or people that simply have some severe mental health issues. Or it can be intentional violence where people are just, you know, bad actors and wanting to do some not so pleasant things. But, you know, you take that and you mix it with longer waits in emergency departments around the U.S. and Canada over the last few years since the pandemic and people sometimes waiting in hallways for hours, if not days at a time. It would make anybody an extremely upset and perhaps less rational than they would be. So those are the things we worry about the most. Yeah. So talk to me about some of the heroic actions you've seen on your team, whether it's a security personnel on the ground or someone that reports to you directly. Talk to me about some heroic acts that you've seen your team do. Sure. I truly consider my team and people that work in these positions for many years as heroes. Totally. They are. They're being vulnerable and often assaulted and often yelled at and called every name in the book on a daily sometimes basis. And they come back and do it again, usually with great respect and kindness and compassion and empathy for our patients and our visitors. I've seen heroic events in a variety of ways, and I'll just list a few. One is through the use of Narcan, when people are found to be overdosed, particularly on property. It may not be you know, within the hospital, but it may be on hospital property. And we're able to save a life by the training that we have and the use, and we all carry Narcan. That has saved many alive. 
through our medical response. We are all medically trained with first responder training. So being able to administer not only CPR, but other major first aid, you know, before even the caregiver team or the medical team can get to a patient, we have saved lives and certainly perhaps injuries from being able to find missing people. Sometimes that's missing employees that don't show up for work. And we have, you know, ensure that well-being checks are done by local police or through eloped patients, patients that have left the hospital that are of danger to themselves or others and need to be on certain medications. So we've been able to find them and bring them back. Certainly sexual assault and being able to investigate and ascertain evidence or justification if somebody feels they've been a victim of sexual assault. Ligature risks. We worry a lot about suicidal patients who may be able to get very creative, and they do, about trying to hurt themselves, whether it be through a lace in a smock, whether it be through a cord of an electrical piece. There's ligature risks all the time, whether it be through a door that has some hardware on the inside that they could use to try to find something to hang themselves with. So I think with our constant vigilance about not only designing things without ligature risks, but also our vigilance with visibility and patrols and being able to always be aware of making sure our patients are safe at all times. And that's a big job. No, that's amazing. And thank you for touching on those heroic efforts. Is there anyone in particular you'd like to give a shout out to for specific heroic efforts? No, my whole team. They, they, whole team. they all do it every day. And yeah. there's other things. By doing threat assessments and risk assessments, we are constantly saving situations from escalating and possibly creating injury or death through training and all the work we're doing with training through, you know, collaborating with other departments like the Employee Assistance Program, with doing a lot of domestic violence assistance work so that people who may be victims of intimate partner violence know they have a safe haven and that we help them with customized security while they're at work or if they're a patient while they're here and even helping them at home and making sure that we can transport employees that may be victimized to safe shelters and help them with resources and do a lot of safety planning. So that's a lot of different things, but they all totally. find to be a critical piece of what makes a hospital able to run and run smoothly and well. Totally. How do you see the security operation and risk mitigation procedures? How have you seen it evolve since you joined Massachusetts General Hospital and Mass General Brigham? I've seen it evolve a lot, Lisa, since I joined the industry. I mean, you know, many years ago, there weren't very many standards or any. There weren't a lot of competencies or credentials or degrees you could get within this field or certifications. People weren't hired in the best of ways. People weren't given the training and functional breadth and depth that they needed to do these jobs well. The whole industry has evolved and gotten so much more sophisticated. And I think organizations have recognized the critical need for an optimal security or risk department. Looking at enterprise security risk management from a macro, from a holistic approach, it's truly an industry and an academic arena in itself now, and it wasn't years ago. So there's a big difference. And part of what's driven that, frankly, is liability and people getting sued and realizing that we have to avoid liability. Part of it is regulatory compliance. So we've gotten far more regulatory mandates from agencies that do regulate hospital operations. And that's a good thing. 
and by employees who don't want to work in a place that's not safe mm-hmm. and et cetera. So there's been a lot of drivers of what's helped enhance the industry. I taught for 25 years in the graduate school at Northeastern University. I taught mostly security management courses, tech, security technology, advanced security strategy courses, and they started to get more and more and more populated as people realized this is a high growth industry and it's a critical industry, not just for hospitals, but for all organizations. You know, the private sector, protecting the private sector in this country is enormous. Yeah, totally. One of the things I was impressed with, I met a couple of members of your team and I just thought they had so much loyalty and dedication. I mean, that's obviously that team is built with you as the leader. Any thoughts on creating an awesome security team like you have? I'm so blessed. The reason I've stayed here, this organization a long time, I mean, I've grown and I've gotten moved around and expanded, but it's because of the people and they are just amazing human beings who care deeply about and understand healthcare culture. They care deeply about patients, visitors, employees. They understand the nuances of what's needed. They're able to control their own emotions. They're able to show competence and compassion at the same time. And I have been beyond blessed. I think hiring to your question, for me, obviously, we want experienced people who have been through tough stuff and I have usually hired people with degrees as well. But most importantly, I think it's important to hire for attitude because Uh you can train people with skills. You can't teach people the right attitude and the right level of confidence and compassion. And I think that's really important. And if you don't have good people that really are passionate about what they're doing, it's going to show. And that's really important, as well as hiring people that understand in healthcare You're going to be dealing with every type of person from every different type of place and being really open and not having biases and really caring about everyone and everyone's safety and protection and optimization of their hospital experience is critically important. Totally. Yeah, I think you're just a great example for other security professionals that are leading teams. I mean, I was just so impressed by your team and the team that you built. Thank you. Thank you. What challenges organizations, particular hospitals, commonly encounter when it comes to security operations and appropriately mitigating risks? I think the biggest challenge is budget constraints. I mean, you know, security has been seen a lot over the many decades as a revenue drain rather than a revenue and profit enhancement. And I've done a lot of speaking around the country on this because I think there's so many tangible and intangible ways to show security's value to the bottom line of any healthcare facility budget. But it's not necessarily seen that way. We're not a revenue-driven department for the most part. And you know, many administrators and executive teams don't really understand. They may not have ever been barraged with some issues around really what bad security can result in and the consequences of that. So they don't necessarily uh, fund programs the right way, or the security leader may not be sophisticated enough to know how to get those funds and, and write proposals that really can help justify what's needed. So I think budget constraints and budget resources has been the biggest issue. The second biggest issue, I'd say, is not having the right career pathing So that you really want people that you hire to stay in the department and to be part of the culture and to grow in the culture. It's very important because these are not easy jobs. It's not easy to train people. I'm not going to comment on, you know, proprietary versus contract, but whoever you have in your healthcare organizations, they need to be committed and they need to be staying there and they need to be part of the fabric 
and yeah. embedded in the fabric of the healthcare environment and culture. And nobody can be successful if the security department, you know, enterprise security risk is not respected and not only given the resources they need, but given the partnerships and collaborative efforts that they need and brought to the table. So they should be brought to the table when new buildings are being built or renovated. They should be brought to the table when discussions about quality and safety and mortality are had. They should be brought to the table when you're looking at ways to enhance patient experience with nursing staff. They should be brought to the table when you're looking at ED issues and violence and ED density and the challenges ED has. If security can't be part of those discussions, they can't help be part of the solution. Can you share an experience when you successfully led a transformation of an organization's failing security operations into a top performing one? I would use this as an example. I was brought in when things were not good many years ago in the security department. This was just at Mass General. We hadn't formed a corporation yet. And people had been hired in the department that were executives, golf caddies or nephews. There had been no hiring criteria. There was no good training criteria. There weren't standards. And there was certainly no respect by the hospital for the department. In fact, at the time, there was a union drive underway, which was not successful. And that took a while. People had been, frankly, positioned by previous leaders to compete against each other within the department rather than work collaboratively toward the common good. So it was a while, but I took a lot of time to help people to develop and created better standards and help them to understand that they could achieve those standards and enjoy their jobs and their roles far more. I put people in working groups together that had not only never worked really together in a moving in a collaborative common way, but had been pitted against each other. And that was very effective. It was hard. I think people were scared at first. I frankly got rid of some people that simply were not of the caliber that they should have been to do this work. I hired new people and I took some people that are still here today, thank God, who were incredible, but had never been given the right development and support and helped give them that. And they just became incredible contributors and people in this department that I couldn't have grown without them. So I think it's not easy sometimes to undo a culture, a good culture or a bad culture. And I think change is hard for people. I do a lot of work on change management and people don't like being changed. What I found is they can deal with change better if they're part of the change process. So I tried to get a lot of working groups together with people from all levels of the department to work together to help offer their ideas and create yeah. solutions. And that worked pretty well. It took a while. I remember there were plenty of days in my first you know, six months where I thought, oh my God, what did I get myself into? But then I started to see the transformation and other people did too. And it was a beautiful thing to see. Yeah. I mean, so you touched on collaboration, hiring people with the right attitude. How else do you think about creating a great security culture? I've talked with other people about kind of like security industry needs a brand transformation from the thought of like the mall security officer. And then it needs to be transformed into what I've seen from your team, like real heroes and have just so much respect. So how do you go about doing that and creating that culture? Well, I think you have to have some successes and you start with small ones. Mm -hmm. You start showing yourselves to be functionally as a department broad so that you're the can-do department for other mm. departments that come to rely on you and use you and know you you will do any, whatever it takes and know you'll have the answers or find them if you, you don't have them. And we'll work with them and help them to be successful. 
And by doing that, then you've got a lot of partners along the way that are going to help fight for you when you need resources, that are going to help fight for your people. And showcasing those successes is also very important to not only C-suite executive teams, but to others around the hospital. We, We have spent a lot of time since I came here in marketing our services, expanding them and marketing them and helping people understand not only that we're there if something bad's happened, but we're there for a lot of good things. I also think what I call the scare tactic helps a little sometimes with senior executives and getting people to understand. Sometimes you have to show them what's gone on at other places that have put other places in a vulnerable or tough situation and why you need what you need and why what you're suggesting may be valuable and and responsible. You can't always get what you want. You have to pick your battles. I have seen security leaders who just kind of vent and, and complain and pick every battle and they are never successful. So you have to understand this is a difficult environment. Nobody has enough money in healthcare. And you have to be careful about prioritizing what you want. To do that, I think what's been most important is having a roadmap. And we always have a strategic security plan, a three to five year plan. So we know which way we're going. We ensure that it's aligned with the overall hospital strategic plan so that what we're doing makes sense. And we tweak that plan along the way. If there's things we should be you know, that aren't particularly important or that we should stop doing, we stop doing. If we need to redeploy resources because of a particular issue that's become far more paramount, we do that. I mean, when COVID happened, our whole operation, you know, went to heck in a handbasket because we couldn't do the things we were doing. We couldn't continue to be proactive in ways and innovative. We had to stop and, you know, pivot to being able to just keep this place afloat with, you know, 500 very sick patients in ICUs and staff that were, you know, traumatized and exhausted and priorities changed very quickly. So helping your team to kind of pivot to when things are needed to be changed is very important. And realizing that people are human and they need some breathing time and they need to understand what's going on and they need a lot of support and a lot of TLC. And sometimes that's all they need. Can you just talk a little, you mentioned the whole, you know, COVID, another transformational event, obviously in the security industry, 9-11. I think you were at Mass General at that time. Can you just talk about that, leading this organization through these world events like 9-11 and then COVID? Yeah. So 9-11 was very interesting. I was here. I was also the president of the ASIS International, the largest security organization in the world. And that was pretty transformative to be president of that organization during that time. I remember the first 24 hours, I got over 6,000 emails from people around the world offering us their help and support and, and all of that. And I think what's most important is to realize that we can't fix things immediately if something needs to be fixed. And sometimes things don't need to be fixed, but simply people need to understand why they don't need to be fixed. So Again, it's managing fear. It's getting people in the right place on what I call the continuum, where one end people are complacent, they don't think about security or care about it. The other end, they're living in fear and overreacting to things. So I think ensuring that people are communicated to all the time with real information as frequently as possible about what's going on and what we're doing, ensuring that people are getting the emotional support they need ensuring that if there are certain tweaks that you need to make from a security standpoint, whether that be procedural changes, technology changes, you know, increased staffing, whatever it is. We also went through the Boston Marathon, which was one of the toughest challenges we've ever had here with thousands of people coming in, including, you know, hundreds that were injured. 
what people need to know is we've got this. We mm-hmm. have a plan. We've practiced our plan, maybe not exactly the way it rolled out, but we've got people that know what they're doing. We're going to maintain a safe environment. That's what people really need to know. I'm also just curious about any, any specific stories of your staff going above and beyond during the Boston Marathon. And what was um, that like? My staff was heroic during the Boston Marathon. We all were here for days without going home or sleeping. We all did amazing things to help families and patients who were here to accommodate media who needed to get their stories, to ensure that we were safe. And the beginning of the week, we had no idea who was responsible for this. We had no idea if they were injured, if they were going to come in. Our hospital had more victims than anyone else by far. So it was scary. And there was literally not one person in my team that didn't show up, that didn't you know, just come and say, what do you need and how long do you need it and whatever we need to do. And we had to you know, change and pivot a lot for some of our duties. And we used other people from the hospital to augment some things that they could do to help us in a more you know, kind of simple way, whether it was access control or whatever, because we really did need more people than we had. But I have never, ever felt the way, and I have been so proud of my team, but none more than that week. And I remember the one scenario, it sounds silly, that stands out to me is I was walking behind a couple of nurses, like the first day or the second day, and I overheard one, they didn't see me, and I overheard one saying to another, I'm scared, I'm really scared, I I don't know if I can work here right now, I'm petrified. And the other one put her arm around her friend, and she said, well, you don't have to be scared, we have the best security here, any place could have, they will take care of us. They will ensure we're safe. And I remember I almost started crying right in the middle of the hallway because I needed to hear that. And I told my staff that. And so that reminded me that what we're doing is important. And I think, you know, we constantly have to remind our teams of that. Totally. Thanks for sharing that. As a speaker, which security operations topics would you be most interested to discuss? Leadership creative leadership, communications. I'm, I'm really a strong believer that there's a lot of conflict because of poor communications and people do not have the best toolkit sometimes with communications. Security, certainly violence and conflict. Right now, I think particularly emphasis on discriminative and hate-related behavior and crimes. And it's so rampant in our healthcare facilities with people being targeted based on whether it's the color of their skin or their culture or their sexual orientation status or their age or their disability status. And those people that are targeted change it depending on what's going on politically, depends on, you know, depending on during the pandemic, you know, many Asian, many of our Asian employees and physicians and scientists were targeted because people believed COVID came out of China. You know, during the 9-11, a lot of Muslim patients and, and employees were targeted because people felt strongly that this was a Muslim-related hate crime with those marathon buffoons. So it can change in a nanosecond. And I think even sometimes more than an assault, a verbal assault can be even more harmful to an environment, to an employee, et cetera. So uh, violence, hate, and discriminative behavior, leadership, managing change, strategic leadership, really being able to understand how to strategically put a plan together. All of those things would be things that are important to speak about. So have you seen the violence increase in the last couple of years? Yes. What do you attribute that to? I attribute it to, it's been since the pandemic and it's been 
It's a national trend and I've you know certainly tracked it. And I think it's because there's inadequate behavioral health facilities and behavioral health staff and psychiatrists and psychologists for people who need it. There's been a huge increase in during the pandemic, there was a large increase in domestic violence. There was also a large increase in alcoholism and substance abuse. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean those are the only people involved in violence whatsoever. I'm not in any way suggesting that. But there's also been significant difficulties in recruitment and retention of all role groups in hospitals. So sometimes there's not enough staff, whether it be physicians or nurses or phlebotomists or transporters. And there's also a huge need for healthcare because so many people didn't get it for the three years of the pandemic. So you've got huge demand, not enough sometimes supply or, you know, people waiting for space or waiting for appointments or et cetera. And a lot of dysregulated people as well. There's a confluence of factors. There's not one. Yeah. I've heard a lot of stories of just increase in, you know, mental health issues, also some drug issues. Do you think it's a mix of both or what are your thoughts there? I think those issues have increased. I don't think it is all about those issues. And I don't really suggest that people who are experiencing substance use disorders or mental health issues are violent, but they are can be part of a, a higher risk population at times, just like other people can be as well. Right. What are the qualities of an outstanding security and enterprise risk management leader? I think leadership is an art. It's not always a science. And I think strong confident, caring leadership where people lead from the heart as well as the head is important. I think people need to be good listeners. I think they need to be visionary. Anybody can be a manager. Not everyone can be a leader. You have to have a vision. You have to look future oriented. You have to really be willing and able and interested in developing people and having them be successful in their role, not just in yours. You have to be a good delegator at times and a good teacher. I think if you're not politically astute, if you don't have business skills right now, you can't be a good risk or security leader because you have to understand the business impact and the business operations of your healthcare facility. So having project management skills, having budgetary skills and finance skills, having the ability to have some technology expertise, the ability to write a proposal or an RFP, those kinds of things are very, very important. And you know, a lot of people don't have all that, or they haven't been given the training on that. So, you know, I think you can't put together a a strategic focus if you're not a strategic thinker. So what is your vision in the next, you talked about the roadmap, five, 10, 15 years for the security industry, but then also your security team? Well, the vision for the industry is we're all going to have jobs, that's for sure, sadly, but there's going to be continued incredible need for private sector security and healthcare security, for sure. That will never go away. It'll only continue to get bigger. The vulnerabilities change all the time. The risk changes. The bad actors change and get more sophisticated. We're certainly seeing that with cybercrime, ransomware attacks, et cetera. I think for my team, continuing to ensure that we have a proactive focus that we're constantly tweaking our workplace violence program and looking at vulnerability enhancements, risk assessments, looking at career pathing and good development. So we have people that want to stay and grow, educating the rest of the workforce, including, you know, a big challenge is all of the ambulatory facilities we all have because they don't have the same services inherent as all the motherships do, the main hospitals. So ensuring that they're safe, there's a far greater trend now and over the next many years, it will get much bigger on hospitals at home, you know, telehealth, 
and actually patients being treated in their homes as if it was a hospital bed and many people going to those homes. So ensuring safeguarding that staff and having the right stuff in place for them. And I think that the constant need to identify the right technologies so that we're not putting in technologies for the sake of having it look like there's good security when in fact there's not. And it could be what I call security theater, where people you know, walk through a metal detector and something goes off and they barely open their purse or their bag and no one really looks in it or really goes through it. And that's just worse than not having any at all. So I think there's a lot of challenges, you know, continuing to make sure our C-suites, our executive teams, our boards, our board of directors, our board of trustees for these hospitals understand the criticality of our function and continue to fund them properly. I know that's a lot of things, but that's what I think about and think is going to be needed. Great. So just in closing, as a leader in the security operations field, if you had one piece of advice or one guiding principle for any individual in the security and enterprise risk management field, what would it be? Be tenacious, be resilient, talk to a lot of other people and learn from other leaders that are in the space doing what you're doing to see what is working and what hasn't worked, what best practices are. Nobody has to reinvent the wheel and to continue to be diligent about advocating for the right protection strategies that you know are right. Awesome. I forgot to ask one question, if you wouldn't mind answering it. How do you go about recruiting? You know, do you struggle with recruiting? I've heard that's like a huge problem with. Yep. Yeah. It has become a huge problem. It never was. I mean, we had people lined up from Boston to Vermont trying to get in to, you know, our places. And it's been tough, you know, where municipal police departments are hiring good hospital security folks away at much higher prices. And even in the corporate security arena, people can go and not be in the emergency department with patients that may be assaulting them or throwing urine on them or trying to strangle them or calling them names and make a lot more money. So we've gotten very big into trying to be very creative in our recruitment strategies and compensation strategies. It is something that is problem that everyone is experiencing and feeling. And I think what's going to be necessary is that security departments are going to have to ensure that people are paid commensurate with the complication and level of the job. And they're going to have to ensure that there's a promotional path for them. They're going to have to ensure they're respected and that the jobs are really understood because it's not just standing around or walking around and doing patrols all day in most places. It's pretty interesting. And there's a lot of you know nuances. We just put a LinkedIn site out with some of the details about the job and pay and all, hoping that that's going to attract people to say, oh, I never realized healthcare security people do this or that or get paid for yeah. that. So I think there's a lot of work in this arena, Lisa. You're right. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. Do you try and recruit from veterans or the veteran pool? We certainly look at retired, you know, youthful retired people from yeah. government service, law enforcement, et cetera. Are you talking about military veterans? Yeah, military is, is more of it's been a targeted market, but we certainly be you know happy to look at people that are qualified and want to do this work. We'd love it. Awesome. You've been wonderful with great questions. You've oh, been- you've been wonderful too. Congrats on all your success and just happy to interview you. And it, thank it you so much. It's, it's always a work in progress. We're always trying to figure out what we can do better. And, you know, there's lots of mistakes along the way. And that's just the human condition, but it really does take a village. And, and I'm very lucky to have some really great people around me. I just have a ton of respect. Again, after meeting some of your team, I just have so much respect for you as a leader and what you've done with your team and the culture you've created. 
So thank you for all your heroic services. Thank you so much and have a great day. Security Heroes is brought to you by Athena Security. To find out more about Athena Security and how we help save lives through our weapon detection solution, visit www.athena-security.com. And then make sure to search for Security Heroes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Athena, thanks for listening.